things first. This is about truth telling. I have no agenda. Zero. I always have questions. What's the problem? That's just who I am. This is what no mercy is all about. Hey, here I come. You can book it. Ah. This is the moment of a lifetime. The clock's ticking like my lifeline. Until I flatline, I push it to the red line. Who gon' stop me high? Who gon' stop me high? Breathtaking a move that I make. I give it everything I got. Cause that what it takes. I push the limit till it break. The heart of the brave. The soul of a legend with the will to be great. Hold up. Welcome. <laughs> NBA free agency. Do I need to say any more? Stephen A. Smith show coming at you now. What's up, everybody? Welcome to the latest edition of the Stephen A. Smith show coming at you as I love to do at the very least three times a week, every Monday, Wednesday and Friday, 4 p.m. Eastern, 1 p.m. Pacific uh, right here. Right here on YouTube, the Stephen A. Smith Show coming your way. Thanks again, as always, to all of you who have been listening to the show, watching the show. Really, really appreciate the love and support, no doubt about it. As usual, I'm coming from my studio. Thanks to our official studio sponsor, FanDuel Sportsbook. FanDuel is the official sports betting company of the Stephen A. Smith Show. Um, as always, make sure to like the video and follow the Stephen A. Smith channel for all updates. Click the notification bell to find out about all my new content, okay? Make sure you do that because the subscribers have been growing. I appreciate the love and support. Without you, there is no me. If you didn't want me here, I wouldn't be here. So thank you so much. Continue to provide the support that you've been providing. Got Rex Chapman, 12-year NBA veteran, coming up in a little while. But before I get into that, it's imperative that I get into NBA free agency. Somebody like him is more than equipped to talk about a lot of stuff that's going on in the NBA. Plus, he's got his own podcast uh, that I wanted to talk to him about um, called Owned. So it'd be really interesting to hear what he has to say about that, talking to owners, executives, and other NBA players and stuff like that. But before I do any of that, it's important to get into NBA free agency because there's a lot of names that are going to be out there. Now, we've heard people that saying, hey, this is where I'm going, or they might go there, they might not go there. We're wondering about so many names that are going to be available in free agency. I'm here to tell you something right now. There's only a few names. One of the names ain't even a free agent, but I'll bring him up a little bit later because I think he's going to be moved. And I think that he is a game changer if he ends up landing a place where I think he should land. But before I get into him or anybody else, it is necessary to get into some of these marquee free agents. 2023 NBA free agent class um, isn't a particularly strong one in some people's eyes, but there are some names that obviously are going to have a lot of impact and there's no way to avoid getting into it. When we think about the money that's available and what have you, you got to get into some of these guys. James Harden comes to mind. Now, James Harden has been an interesting story because James Harden is one of those dudes that, hey, He's a perennial all-star. He led the league in assists this past season, 10.7 a game. Uh, helped the Philadelphia 76ers get to game seven of the Eastern Conference semifinals because they got before they got blown out by Jason Tatum, Jalen Brown, and the Boston Celtics at TD Bank Garden in Boston. Okay, they had a 3-2 lead, couldn't close out the series in Philadelphia. And then obviously a game seven had to go back to Boston and they got smoked. No doubt about it, no way around it. And James Harden took a lot of hits because he was a no-show. 
Plain and simple. You had guys like my colleagues, Kendrick Perkins and others saying he flat out quit. These are the kind of things you've heard about him in the past. I don't believe that that was the case in most instances, but I will tell you game seven, he looked like a day in headlights. It was very, very, very bad. And when you saw that Doc Rivers ultimately got fired as the head coach, you kind of wondered whether or not James Harden played that way on purpose just so Doc Rivers could be gone. Probably hoping his man Mike D'Antoni, his former coach with the Houston Rockets, was going to get the job. But that didn't end up happening. It ended up being Nick Nurse, formerly of the Toronto Raptors, because obviously he got them to a championship when Kawhi Leonard was his star player. And Nick Nurse is now the new head coach in Philadelphia, Pennsylvania, for the Philadelphia 76ers. And who knows how he's going to utilize James Harden. From what I'm told, Nick Nurse spent some time in Houston re- recently, desperately wanting James Harden to return to be in a Philadelphia 76er. James Harden, according to numerous reports doesn't want to be in Philadelphia wants out of Philadelphia would like to go back to Houston okay where he starred for about nine seasons winning a few scoring titles and a league MVP honor by the way he got my vote that year he won league MVP if I remember correctly him and Russell Westbrook twitched years or whatever but I've always been a fan of James Harden let me say this James Harden is not the player he used to be now he's not a scrub He's still an all-star caliber player. He still can ball, but he is not the superstar offensive juggernaut he used to be. Because when you got to run the show and you got to be a distributor and you got to be a play setter, as opposed to somebody looking to score all the damn time, it's very, very difficult for you to record the same numbers you used to recall. And nevertheless, some people would argue that it hurt James Stock. To me, you know what's hurting James Harden Stock more than anything? Your willingness to go back to Houston. Because you know they're not a title contender. You know that they're a young squad. You know that they don't need you. You just want your own comfort zone. You want the helicopters. You want to be able to take off when you want to. You want to play in a system where they don't get to show you negative plays and all of that other stuff, even though Ime Udoka ain't going to go for that. Tillman Fertitta and the Fertitta family running the show in Houston. They wouldn't mind having James Harden back. And I'm so sick and tired of all of this speculation. Why is that? Why would he be interested in going back to Houston? Why would they be interested in having him? It's very, very simple. James Harden is a pillar of H-Town. They love him there. They appreciate him there. And the years of greatness that he gave them at the Toyota Center, no doubt. Okay? Got them to within one game of an NBA Finals when Chris Paul was there with them. And P.J. Tucker and Clint Capella and those boys. And Trevor Ariza, let's not forget him. But the point is, is that that was a long time ago. And James Harden was there. And what happened is when he wanted out after Daryl Morey walked out the door, when James Harden wanted out, Tillman Fatita, there was no way in hell they were going to let him go and just join Daryl Morey in Philadelphia. They weren't going to have that. So he got out of shape and was avoiding the team and all of this other stuff. And they ultimately agreed to move him. But they moved him to Brooklyn, not Philadelphia. And he didn't mind because he joined KD and Kyrie and he was supposed to complete, compete for titles. James Harden showed up or wasn't 100% healthy but tried. It was a courageous effort he tried to give Kevin Durant in that Milwaukee series. He just wasn't healthy. That's the bottom line. Kyrie Irving had twisted his ankle. In my opinion, had he not twisted his ankle, Brooklyn beats Milwaukee. And Brooklyn with Harden and KD, okay, and Kyrie, win the championship that year. I truly believe that. But it didn't happen. It didn't happen. Okay? 
And from that point forward, Harden ultimately would end up forcing his way out of Brooklyn. And because he forced his way out of Houston and because he forced his way out of Brooklyn and he had that bad look. And now this loss to, to you know, that got Doc Rivers fired. His reputation is not great. It just isn't. Now, I'm not going to hold all of that stuff against them. Stuff happens in the world of business. But in the end, those are things on your docket. And what it comes down to is this. Why the hell should Houston want them? They're not going anywhere. If you can't help Embiid win the championship with Tyrese Maxey, what the hell are you going to do with Kenyon Martin Jr. and Jalen Green and, and Jabari Smith Jr. and these Kevin Porter and these boys? You're going to do anything with that young squad? They got a young squad that they're uplifting and they're not interested in bringing somebody on board like a James Harden who's going to be ball dominant, even though he can play an exceptional point guard when he wants to be. They're just not going to do it. Not at the four year max dollars that he wants. And so as a result, Daryl Morey, of course, would love to give him that money in Philadelphia. But Josh Harris, the ownership group in Philadelphia, ain't necessarily too, ain't necessarily too keen on it. So we got to wonder what's going to happen with James Harden. It remains to be seen. It remains to be seen. He's looking for big time dollars. He's earned over $272 million in his career, $33 million last season, averaged 21 points, 10.7 assists, 44% shooting, 38.5% from three point range. We know what he brings to the table. But that ain't the answer. I say you keep him in Philadelphia, but at a cheaper price because he doesn't have too many options and he shouldn't have too many options. We'll wait and see if Chicago gets into the mix or somebody else. But I sincerely doubt it. Second on the list, free agencies, is Kyrie Irving. Ladies and gentlemen, one of the most shocking things for me to say, Kyrie Irving actually has leverage. If you're the Dallas Mavericks, what you going to do? It wasn't Kyrie's fault that things didn't work out in Dallas this past season. Y'all didn't even make the playing game. That wasn't his fault. Kyrie Irving did what he was supposed to do. He came to Dallas. He averaged 27 points, five rebounds, five and a half assists, 49% shooting from the field, 37.9% from three-point range. Kyrie Irving did his job. He's no defensive stalwart. What the hell you give away both Spencer Dinwiddie and Dorian Finney-Smith for? By the way, if you're the Dallas Mavericks, what the hell were you doing losing Jalen Brunson a year, you know, in free agency? Had you not lost him in free agency in last summer, you wouldn't have needed Kyrie Irving because that Jalen Brunson was balling. He balled for you in the playoffs. He balled with and without Luka Doncic. And you still let him go when you had an opportunity to get him for 50 plus million dollars. The New York Knicks gave him 103. And we all sitting here a year later talking about how underpaid he is. So that's the Dallas Mavericks that made that mistake. Having said all of that, I will say this. They need a lot of help. It's a big time deal that they drafted this kid, Derek Lively, out of Duke because he defends and he blocks shots. He's a rim protector. God, they need it. And we haven't seen the Dallas Mavericks play defense since February. So they need all the help that they can get. Now, what Kyrie Irving is going to do remains to be seen. This is a brother right here that obviously has had his share of troubles making news for all the wrong reasons. Don't get me started with it. The pandemic, the vaccine, you know, the 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 tweeting, the retweeting of a movie with anti-Semitic tropes that got him in trouble with the Jewish community and ultimately the NBA. All of this stuff. We know what time it is. We get it. He went to Boston, departed from there after saying he'd stay if you all would have me to the crowd. He left like a thief in the night. That was after leaving LeBron in Cleveland. So he's got a quote unquote checkered past. 
There is no doubt about that. There is no escape from that. And when you look at it from that perspective, it's hard to defend anything about Kyrie Irving in that regard. But the brother is a superstar talent. There is no doubt about that. He has shown up. There is no doubt about that offensively, although there are some limitations defensively. We get all of that. But it ain't his fault. And I think the time has arrived to look at it differently. If you're the Dallas Mavericks, what choices do you have? You don't have any cap space. You're not in a position where you can make with so many moves when it comes to Kyrie Irving. You got to figure out something. And I don't know if you can. I'm just looking at numbers here. It's impossible to decipher games missed due to injury or load management, etc. But over his 12-year career, this is Kyrie Irving. He's missed 291 of 962 potential games. That's 30% of his games due to injury, load management, suspension, or drama-related issues. And we both know this many. In the six seasons since requesting a trade out of Cleveland, he's missed 38% of his games. So we've got to take that into consideration as well. But the brother is still a star caliber talent player. He just is. And more importantly, if you don't let him walk, if you let him walk out the door and you don't get equitable compensation in return for his services, how pleasing is that going to be with Luka Doncic? And if Luka Doncic ain't pleased, where's that going to get you? We got to remember all of this stuff. This stuff matters. And so you're the Dallas Mavericks. You got to figure that out. Kyrie Irving is actually in a position to get his money because I don't know how much of a choice the Dallas Mavericks have. Now, the problem is once you give him his money, you empower him to act the way that he wants to act. But the one thing I do know is that he's going to show up come playoff time. He ain't going to fold beneath the pressure. I tell you that. Chris Dasprosigas was supposed to be a free agent, but the Boston Celtics traded for him. And that makes them, as far as I'm concerned, the odds on favor to win the chip. Because when you pair him with Al Horford, Robert Williams III, Jason Tatum, Jalen Brown, Derek White, Malcolm Brogdon, I don't like the fact that Boston lost Marcus Smart. But I love the fact that they got Porzingis, a rim protector who can shoot threes. Last year, he shot 34.2% from three-point range, seven feet three. He can do it. Give credit where credit is due. A lot of people want me to look at Fred Van Vliet. A lot of teams should want this brother. 19 points per game, 34% from three-point range. He's better than that. 39% from the field, he's better than that. You can't sit up there and ask him to be a number one option, but if you're asking him to be a reserve on a court with another star that can do some things, Fred Van Vliet can make pressure shots for you. He's a champion, by the way. Confident floor general can get buckets for you from all over the floor, creates for his teammates, a hard-nosed defender, gives a lot of effort. I, I, I just can't knock it. Chris Middleton's another one. Now, I don't think he's been the same since his injury, and I think that has a lot to do with the lack of success Milwaukee he has enjoyed. Fair enough. But he can still ball. I think he opted out because he was in a position, okay, to make about $40 million, made about $37 million. Last season, he was in a position to make more, opted out. Another person is Draymond Green. There's nothing to talk about here. Draymond Green is staying in Golden State. Nice try, Memphis. I know you were behind the scenes trying to get him. But Draymond Green is is staying in Golden State. And let me tell you why it's a great, great move. I can't believe how people miss this. Steph Curry. You have to protect Steph Curry. You can't just leave Steph Curry out there hanging. You can't just leave him to be the one to make noise in the locker room when dudes ain't doing their jobs. And you damn sure can't leave him on the court playing with people that don't know how to get him the ball in his spots, on the move, 
in, in groove, in motion, in rhythm. Nobody does that better than Draymond Green. Now, I know people are looking at it and they're disgusted with Draymond Green because you do have some people, even some people associated with the Golden State Warriors that believe he ruined this season last year because he couldn't be the leader that he wanted to be because he punched Jordan Poole in the face, knocked him out, basically caught him while he was falling to the ground. And from the moment he did that, Jordan Poole never got over it. And by the way, can you blame him? I remember an executive said to me, Stephen A., get on Jordan Poole all you want to. And this changed, I'm just, I'm prefacing it by saying this changed my mentality about Jordan Poole. He said, Stephen A., get on Jordan Poole all you want to. If somebody punched you in your face and knocked you the fuck out, and it happened to be your teammate, would you be okay with that? Could you be their friend after that? Could you just get over that and shake it off and be like, he says, Stephen, even if you were wrong, you wouldn't forgive him because you'd be embarrassed by the fact that you got knocked out. That's what he said. And so I remembered that. I held on to that. Made perfect sense. Because Jordan Poole and Draymond Green wasn't going to be able to exist. It's not really because of Draymond. Because I can tell you as somebody who knows Draymond and somebody who spoke it to him privately as well as on this podcast, he felt guilty instantly. He felt like two inches tall. He couldn't believe what he had done. And there were plenty of times when he tried to talk to Jordan Poole when there was something he needed to do on the basketball court or whatever. And you'd see Jordan Poole walk right by him and just ignore him. And one time I saw him walk right by Draymond when Draymond tried to talk to him and Steph Curry followed him to the bench and got on him and was talking to him. The moment Draymond Green did that to him, he couldn't be a Golden State Warrior again. He was never the same. He had a bad season, Jordan Poole, because he was somebody that was still trying to overcome what transpired. Draymond doesn't regret much. As somebody who respects the hell out of him and spoke to him about it. He regrets that more than almost anything he's ever regretted in his life. He knows that was extreme. But in the end, you're going to state. You can't lose Draymond because of it. Jordan Poole could score a year and he's going to go to Washington. The nation's capital average over 20 games going to be a number one option. He ain't Steph Curry. He ain't Klay Thompson. And he damn sure ain't the defensive ace and a, and a, and a, and a vocal leader that Draymond Green is. If you got to choose between the two, you choose him. Which explains why he was sent to Washington and CP3 was brought here. Now, I don't like the CP3 fit. But I do love the fact that Golden State's going to shave a whole bunch of money off their books come next season. Over $350 million they're going to shave off their books. When you consider they're in the luxury tax and the money that they're going to have to pay and the money they're going to end up saving. That is a beautiful thing. I just don't think what they have in terms of CP3 is a fit, nor is it going to deliver them championships. I hope they're going to make some moves because the roster they have is presently assembled ain't going to be good enough to win no damn championship. They're going to need more than that. But it starts by keeping Dre. And next summer, Clay, assuming Clay makes amends for his poor performance in the Western Conference semifinals against the Los Angeles Lakers, which I believe he will. So all of those things are things to consider. 
You got other free agents like Jeremy Grant and Portland, Vucevic in Chicago, Lopez in Milwaukee. You had a pretty good season. Kyle Kuzma is going to be a free agent as well. He averaged 21 and 7 this past season. He's worth more than 13 million. I don't blame him opting out. I don't blame him for opting out. He's worth more than $13 million. You got all that stuff. Yoka Portal from Toronto, D'Angelo Russell. Don't get me started with him. You're the Los Angeles Lakers. You got to keep Austin Reeves and Rural Hachimura. You got to keep them. There's nothing to talk about. You just nothing to talk about. Sacramento would be nice to keep Harrison Barnes. All right. Even though I like Keegan Murray a lot and I wonder what, what their future is going to be like together, if not apart. Denver Cell already said they're keeping Bruce Brown. We heard Mike Malone speak about that. And I believe Russell Westbrook should stay in the, with the Clippers. I think the Clippers, I think Russell Westbrook is exactly what they need. His brother's a fire breather. He's obviously in shape. He goes after it. And on top of it all, what has Russell Westbrook done? He's been available when nobody else has. Kawhi Leonard is, is, is Mr. Infirmary. He's always hurt. And Paul George has been hurt a lot, too. You need somebody that's going to be in that lineup on a night-in, night-out basis. That's Russell Westbrook. That's Russell Westbrook. I can get into it more by myself because I love talking to y'all, but why do that when I got a 12-year veteran in the NBA that's waiting to talk to me now? Knows a thing or two about the NBA. He's got his own podcast where he's talking to players and owners and everybody in between. Got a lot to say. I respect the hell out of him, especially when he played. His name is Rex Chapman. He's up next with your boy Stephen A. Back with more in a minute. This is the moment of a lifetime. The clock's ticking like my lifeline. Until I flatline, I push it to the red line. Who gon' stop me high? Who gon' stop me high? My guest today is a legendary basketball player from the University of Kentucky. Drafted eighth overall and the first ever pick in 1988 by the Charlotte Hornets. Had a 12-year NBA career before reinventing himself in the podcast world with his show entitled charges and now owned please welcome to the to the show the one and only rex chapman long time my brother how are you doing how's everything man it's been a long time Stephen. <laughs> i was trying to think the first time i ever knew you were a person uh, <laughs> i i think i saw you at a meta at the meadowlands in the early 90s i, I want to say were you working for the inquirer then yes it was yes uh, it was yeah. yeah so that i just remember because you were kind of coming on the scene and I didn't realize you were that much older than I am, uh, uh, which, by the way, I looked up earlier today. I, I'm nine days older. Than there you me. go. There you go. So, uh, but no, it's been a long time. So listen, man, talk to me, first of all, about uh, about your podcast, because, I mean, I think it's really, really important to get a lot of things that we're going to talk about. I mean, we're going to segue from there into some of the things that you've been doing. First of all, the title is what? Just because one minute you're seeing charges and another minute you're seeing own. Tell yep. us what the title is and what your intent was with starting the podcast. Yeah, this this uh, uh, podcast is called Owned, and it's about professional sports owners. Um, you know, the, we know, you and I know many owners. You know, growing up, there weren't billion, we didn't, billionaires weren't like a thing. Well, they are now, and a lot of them own 
professional sports franchises. Mm. These these are people that are wildly fascinating. Uh, they're loaded with money and they love sports. They also these owners they hold this this power over these franchises and these fan bases. And so I think this podcast is as kind of an inside look at who these owners really are. So I'm excited to do it. The smartest guys, Jason Bateman, Will Arnett, and Sean Hayes, they they uh, formed a podcast company, asked me to do this podcast, and I'm having a blast doing it. What made you decide to do this as it pertains to owners? Because a lot of times, first of all, most owners really don't want to talk. They like to be behind the scenes, running things, doing their thing, making some money, you know, controlling a lot of uh, controlling a lot of lives along the way, to be quite honest with you, uh, because they employ so many Mm -hmm. different people and then going about their business as opposed to really, really enlightening us about their lives, what it took for them to get here. What are the kind of things that they have to endure on a day to day basis to continue living a lives that they live what made you decide to do this podcast on them well i think you know they they came to me these guys came to me with the idea so not my idea let's be clear about that Mm -hmm. um but i do kind of have a a unique uh perspective having played professional sports for a dozen years knowing good owners knowing bad owners and actually getting to know quite a few of the sports owners we have in NFL, Major League Baseball, and basketball just through my sports experience. Mm -hmm. So I'm not on here to kill owners. Uh, I'm just trying to tell an honest story. You know, we also live in a a day and age, Stephen A., of this is just different now. Uh, The media landscape, we have younger owners, Mark Cuban, uh, Matt Mm -hmm. Ishbia. Those guys came up in the, the digital, Matt especially came up in the digital age. These guys know that it's important, I think, to you know, do these interviews from time to time and show, pull back the curtain a little and show people who you really are. So when you think about that, pull back the curtain a little bit and remind people in your own words of who you really are and what you've endured to get to this point where so many people will want to listen to you talk about owners, talk to journalists, talk to players, talk to so many other people. Give us an enlighten our audience about what your background and all the things you've endured. Um, man, that is, uh, I, I guess in, growing up in Kentucky, I started becoming famous at about age 15, just for playing basketball. Mm-hmm. And, um, then I went on and was one of the top two or three players in the country as a high school player, McDonald's guy, and, uh, went to Kentucky and was all American at Kentucky. I left school early. The school was getting ready to go on probation uh, I left school. I was eight picking the draft of the Charlotte Hornets was the youngest player in the NBA my rookie year. Um, Del Curry, one of my best friends, met him the first day I moved to uh, Charlotte, pulled up. Del and Muggsy were there. Muggsy lived right down the road, but Del was there with Sonia and a little baby Stephen Curry uh, welcoming me to the apartment complex and helped me move my stuff in. And those right. guys have been my best of friends forever. Um, and then, uh, I played 12 years in the NBA, had a pretty good career, I guess. And the second that I got out of the NBA, I apparently felt filled the void of competition in basketball with painkillers. And, uh, I, I spent four, the better part of 14 years on and off of painkillers, uh, in and out of rehab three times. Finally in 2014, I was arrested, uh, I was arrested for shoplifting. And every time I have to say that, it just, 
uh, it just makes me want to hide. Uh, mm. And uh, I was strung out, you know, just I was trying to support a horse racing gambling addiction, but mainly uh, a, a painkiller addiction. Mm. Um, and it was the first time I'd ever been in trouble. And I guess at that point, you know, my life had kind of gone to shit. Um, bad choices over a period of 14 years will do that to you. Mm-hmm. Um, I, I was broke. I was broken as a person. I went to rehab and this time, uh, it took for whatever reason I paid attention. I ended up getting a lot of therapy and, and realizing how important that is for me in my life. And I wish I could have done it at age 18. It might've mm-hmm. helped me a little bit more. Mm-hmm. Uh, so I got out of rehab fast forward a couple of years and, uh, university of Kentucky media, uh, they asked me to come back and do uh, and I'd always done, you know, NBA TV and TNT over the years, even though I'm, I was probably on painkillers from time to time. Right. So I'd, I'd been in the media landscape quite a bit. Uh, then I went back to Kentucky, started doing their their uh, basketball games, uh, radio basketball games that led to uh, doing the the charges podcast with my guy, Steve Nash. It was his idea. He asked me what I want to do. The charges podcast, which, right. which was about former athletes getting in trouble and trying to write their lives a little bit. Um, and then I went and did this great show with CNN plus. You probably, probably remember it, right? Stephen right. A. <laughs> <laughs> uh, right. uh, it lasted four episodes. They shuttered CNN plus, and I was left, I was in Brooklyn living up, uh, where you're from, uh, in that area and really not much to do. And uh, these guys from uh, Smartless asked me to do this own pod, and here I am. I got to tell you, man, I mean, I imagine that there were so many people. And you know, I, love, I love the fact that you brought up Steve Nash because, to me, Steve Nash, it's not an accident that a guy like him is supportive of you and is a friend of yours because, I mean, you know, me having to watch the Brooklyn Nets when he was coaching them, having to be critical sometimes, you know, it was hard because he's one of the nicest people you'll ever want to meet. And a lot of people have said the same thing about you through out the years you don't see too many people walking around talking about they don't like rex chapman that's just not something you heard about in nba circles so it's really really good to see you and good see you in good spirits having overcome so many of the things that you have overcome and i think that now particularly that you're in a public platform you'll see the support for you swell even more because the more people who do talk to you the more people will want to talk to you you can book that and i'm and i'm wondering i'm wondering I appreciate what, le- that. what level of inspiration does your trials and tribulations, your struggles, what level of inspiration does that serve when you're actually interviewing somebody on your podcast? Because I think it, it's not just about talking about their highs. It's about talking mm-hmm. about the road that they travel to get to those highs, which sometimes obviously ain't the easiest road that has been traveled. What has that been like for you and how receptive have they been to you, obviously knowing something about you along the way before they even choose to sit down and interview with you? Yeah, you know a little something about the interviewing process, don't you, Stephen? Hey, I'm bit, brand, brand new to it. That's a <laughs> that's an amazing question. Right. And I, I think it 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 gives me a bit of an advantage, you know, um if if a person over here is interviewing one of these people and asks them about, you know, their tough time. Uh, they might not give that answer. If I ask them, you know, they know my background a little bit. They know I've had some tough times. Right. I'm asking you, you know, where have you been? What have you learned during your toughest times? And what were your toughest times? Mm-hmm. That question, I think, coming from me 
might land a little differently with who that uh, the person being interviewed just because they know, you know, no, he's not he's not asking about not did I get a boo boo on my elbow? once. Right. He's asking, like, what has really hurt me? So I think that that does help to a degree. You launched own this podcast that you have June, uh, you know, just launched June 12th. So congrats Mm -hmm. to you on that deep dives into the world of professional sports owners and talks to journalists, athletes, comedians, and sometimes even the owners themselves focusing on owners such as Russell Crowe, Jerry Buss, Merge, Merge, uh, Merge Shot, Donald Sterling, Vince McMahon, and many, many others. Who's been your most fascinating interview in your mind thus far? Man, I, I, Everybody has been amazing. You know, we have had Jeannie Buss on, uh, on who I've known Jeannie forever. She right. came on to talk about her dad and Jerry episode. Yeah, I meant uh, Jeannie. I apologize. Pro- I said Jerry. I meant yeah, Jeannie. No, I apologize. No, yeah. it, no, it's on Jerry. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It, you got it right. I think yeah, it's right. on Jerry. But Jeannie came on to talk about her dad, which yeah. was just amazing. Just love her to death. Uh, the Russell Crowe thing is is just unreal because. I don't know Russell Crowe, he, but he reached out to me. I wow. think he saw that we were having doing something, reached out to me via Twitter. We've developed a friendship over the last several months. But he, what he did, the dude loves, loves sports, but he loves rugby. And he mm-hmm. bought his hometown team when he, was, when he was young, had fallen on hard times. And in 2003, he bought uh, his hometown team, mm-hmm. the rugby team, for $3 million from Rupert Murdoch, who had let it run into the ground. Right. Uh, he, he got the company away, away from him. And in a decade, they won the whole thing. And now the, the, the team is worth $85 million. Mm. And Russell Crowe's done some things, right? Oscar winner. Yes. He's done some things. Beautiful mind. He speaks with uh, uh, everything. And I mean, on and on and on. And he speaks with such passion about this venture and this project it you can look if you'd have told me russell crowe doesn't like sports i'd have been like yeah you know he's you know why would he it's just sports that he loves sports makes me love him that much more Mm. (laughs) so when i think about owners what would make somebody be interested how would you make somebody be interested in hearing about an owner what an owner is doing, what, I mean, what, what's the day to day, what their lives are like or whatever. I mean, it is in a roundabout way. It is about the lives of the rich and famous, but with a twist, you know, it's not a, just about, it, it, it's not it, just it, about, it's not just about promoting or flossing yeah. what they've achieved. It's about the journey. How do you pull that off? Yeah. You know, I, I think that some of the stories, you know, just like, Uh, Just because guys have money, men and women have money, owners, uh, doesn't mean they're going to be a good owner. They have to have the right people in place. And, you know, we see it all the time. Miami Heat, Mickey Harrison and and what they're doing, what they've done in San Antonio and at different places around the league. There's a reason that owners succeed over a period of time because they let their people, they hire good people and let those people do their work. You know, I played for two uh, I played for a couple of not so great owners and a couple of great owners. The first two, George Shin, you know, he didn't spend, he didn't spend enough on free agents. He didn't spend enough on staff for the, you know, lock, uh, locker room staff, the, the, uh, the front office. He, he was just a very cheap owner. Mm-hmm. And then I went, <laughs> I went to Washington to play for the bullets. First day, Steve and a Smith, I sat down at my locker I had a note on my locker saying, hey, Rex, 
we can, you can wash your own stuff, your own practice gear, or we can take $25 out of your check each week to, so that our, our equipment manager can wash it. For Good loss. Good loss. Now that, that sends a message to every player on the team that, you know, we're just probably not going to do things first class. Right. right. Here. <laughs> and that trickles down. Right? right. So, but then going to Miami, Miami, I get to Miami, Pat Riley's the first year coach there. Mickey Harrison bought the team. We got a plane right away. Now we're, you know, at the same level. We're traveling like the Pistons are traveling. Mm-hmm. You know, it, it's, it's brand new, brand different, brand new and different. I go to uh, Phoenix and I'm with Jerry Colangelo, one of the best owners in pro sports. Fascinating guys. I'm just excited to be able to tell these, these stories from a little bit of a different perspective, I guess, an insider perspective somewhat. You know, and, I, and I'm looking at it now and because obviously you'll always be synonymous with the NBA. That's what we know. We know what you did on a collegiate level at the University of Kentucky. We know that. We know all about that. But being in the NBA, seeing what has materialized, how important is it for you? Or rather, shall I say, what kind of specific message do you want to send to the public that views today's sports through a certain lens as it pertains to the players? Because you can utilize owners, franchise owners, and what have you to really crystallize and illuminate a certain message that can be embraced by all just for our own edification. Is there anything that stands out in your mind as you sit down with owners when you say today's sports culture, the kind of stuff that we're seeing, what is it that people need to know that only an owner for a franchise, for example, can give us that somebody else may not know? Do you ever think about stuff like that at all? Yeah, but you're pretty big brains, Stephen A. I, I'm pretty on the on the surface here. I oh, don't even know on. what you just asked me. <laughs> I don't even know what you just asked Well, that's my asked fault. Me. That's my fault, my brother. That's my fault. That That's definitely my in, fault. You threw in, you threw in edification well, let me, let, and knowing that I left school at two years. Okay, well, let me ask you this. Really? Fair enough, fair enough. Let me ask you this. <laughs> let me ask you this then. Would you want to be an owner in this day and age? Uh, You know... Uh, yeah, I, I would. I would want to be an owner. Now, okay, you crystallize it for me a little bit. So, um, you know, when you're, you got to think about all this stuff, you're an owner, it might be great to be the Memphis Grizzlies owner right now, but you're going through some things with your star player, right? right. So there's a- always going to be stuff that's going on. And st- that's, I think some of that is what we're able to get to. You know, I'm able to ask Russell Crowe, what's the first thing that, you know, you as an owner, that you were like, oh shit, we got to deal with that. And it had something to do with the stadium, something that you, that you would never think, but yeah. it was going to cost a hundred thousand mm. dollars. And this is a team you bought for 3 million, a hundred thousand dollars is a lot of money right yeah. off the bat. Right. So I think that you just get a little bit of a window into who these people are and why they bought these teams, mm. how, you know, how, how, and I think also how invested are they in keeping those teams where they are and investing in the community because mm. I think that is what goes the furthest the furthest way right mm. now. We don't live in an era where Marge Schott is an owner. You know, she was she had Nazi symbol, symbols yes. in her a Nazi armband in her home. Yeah, you know, she was constant. She was saying the N word. Yeah, repeatedly. We don't. You know, this is this is you can't do that now. Mm. You mm. can't you can't be that person now. You better be better than that. And I think that, you know, we're in a, in a day and age where that's pretty much understood. You better be better than that. 
Before I let you get on out of here, let me transition to the game of basketball um, in, a, in a very direct fashion because I'm back from the NBA mm-hmm. Finals. We watched the Denver Nuggets win a championship this year. One of the things um, that I take from it is the collaboration of three superstars on a particular team. We knew with the collective bargaining agreement that was just agreed mm-hmm. upon that that likelihood has come to the end because come to an end because they're not going to make it cap friendly for you to do so. The flip side is is that Denver has shown you you might not even want to go that route anymore. Look at what mm-hmm. we did through the draft. Jokic, Murray, Porter Jr., etc. What did you peel from Denver winning the championship that you think everybody in the basketball world needs to know? Well, I know you don't think he's a dominant post player, but Joker, <laughs> Joker is no joke. Right. And, but I know what you're saying. Here's what, here's what I, my counter to that. Shaq was a dominant post, but he put fear into you because he would jump over you and dunk on you. Yes. And he was crazy like that. It's kind of like I, I viewed Chris Mullen. Chris Mullen was fucking terrifying yes. he was slow though right. he didn't get, he didn't terrify me athletically shoot it and would bust your ass that's right they're different the thing with joker i think we got to look jamal murray kentucky guy always got to shout out my kentucky guys i think you, we can't you know denver won this thing and they have done it in a different way they they got they have a seven foot steve nash on their team mm-hmm. the joker is a seven foot point that's guard. Fair. he's a guy that that is triple doubles every night and he's seven feet tall. You know, I, I don't know how you deal with him. He's a problem. There's a reason he's big, he's bulky and he's skilled. And well, the other thing, he, he's a killer. Okay. And so fair I, enough. He wants, he wants to kill. Excuse me. Night. Excuse me, Rex Chapman. Shouldn't one of your Kentucky <laughs> boys be able to deal with that? Like an Anthony Davis. Last time I checked, he won a national championship at Kentucky. Shouldn't he be able to deal? I mean, he's not chopped liver. This dude is 6'11". He's an all-world defensive player. He dropped 40 in game one on Jokic. He's something special. Shouldn't he be able to do something to offset the greatness of Jokic? Um, I think everybody has a problem with this man right now. Everyone from Giannis to AD to Joel, Joel Embiid. Didn't he duck playing him once this year? Yeah, yeah. I, you well, know, well, when he went against Jokic in Philly, he dropped 47 and 18. Yeah. Yeah. He had his way. That no, day. Hey, look, yeah, yeah no, the, everybody Joker gives everybody problems. I, I, yeah. AD, AD in shape, AD and second, Third effort, AD, that guy, we know can he, he can dominate anybody at any given time. But the best of best ability is availability, they say, and AD has got to be more available. I think it starts right there. Who's been your favorite player from Kentucky in the NBA? I love putting y'all on the spot. Ooh. I love asking Kentucky players this question on the spot because there are a pl- Ooh, there are plenty. Wee. Your favorite NBA player that came from the University of Kentucky, past or present, who would that be? Wow, that's really, you put me on the spot. Yes, I am. I, I, it's, it, it's, it's a toss-up, and it's Rajon Rondo or Jamal Mashburn. Yeah. Those two guys are my, my favorite. They were my favorite to watch. Now, and I love all my Kentucky guys. And what, what these dudes are doing now, from Tyrese Maxey to Tyler Hero, uh, all across the league, Jamal Murray, Devin Booker. Um, I, 
I was at Kentucky doing radio for a few years. And if all the, if this was an era where everybody stayed in college, Jamal Murray, Devin Booker, and Malik Monk and De'Aaron Fox would have all played at the same time at Kentucky. Mm. Okay. That's just silly. I got you. Uh, I got you. But I'm uh, people forget through. how great Jamal Mashburn was. They really, really oh, do. Mash. That brother, basketball. Basketball. Mash was Mon- something special. Ma- Monster Mash uh, came to Kentucky. I was already gone in the NBA, but I was back working out with those yeah. guys every day with Rick Pitino and yep. those guys in the summer. And Mash was on those teams. And he came from New York. He came, uh, he had the big uh, box cut mm-hmm. and he was heavy. He was needed to shed weight. He was pudgy. Once he started getting in shape, he had handles, he had, he could pass it. He was a problem. And you knew he was something special. And the thing you loved about Jamal, kind of like Joe Dumars, he just busted your ass and was nice about it. Wow. Before I let you get on out of here, my last question to you. We're talking to Rex Chapman right here. The Owned Podcast. I mean, we got to give love where it's due right here. Owned started June 12th. Looking forward to watching that and listening to you speak. You got a lot of stories about the great Michael Jordan. I'm not going to ask you to tell a bunch of them. I'm going to ask you one simple question. (laughs) Give us all your favorite Michael Jordan story before we let you get on out of here. Your favorite, because you've known him for quite a long time. Yeah. Yeah. One, one of them is that's, that's podcast uh, um, worthy or that I can say publicly. Um, he, we were bowling one night. This is, uh, I was probably a rookie or second year player and we were going to Chicago to play and Chicago was just becoming really good. It was the bad boys era, but they were fighting bad boys. So I was playing with the Hornets and every time Michael and his boys came to Charlotte because Michael's dad and mom and brothers and sisters lived in Charlotte. And I saw them every day, very good friends with them. So every time I would go to Char- uh, Chicago, I get together with Michael and go out and eat or go bowling, do something, and uh, and vice versa if he came to uh, Chicago. One night we're bowling. It was probably the first time I ever went bowling with him. And I'm with his dudes, and we're sitting. We're bowling, talking, eating, having a beer. Uh, and the the ball got stuck. The pins get stuck every now and then, right? You, and you got to throw another ball down the uh, gutter to get it to reset. Okay. Everybody's done it, I'm sure. Well, Michael's telling a story with his back to the pins. We noticed that the pins get stuck and we motioned for him to throw, roll a ball down there. He picked up a 17 pound ball without using the holes, backhanded it and flung it down the lane to reset the pins. He palmed a 17 pound bowling ball, bro. He was playing a different game. I looked at his dudes and they looked at me and went like, you didn't know he could do that. I was like, no, I didn't know he could do that. And, when I think about it now, he might have done it on purpose just to just for an intimidation. That's factor. him. That's that, him. That that dude. Uh, the other story I'll tell real quick. I had had my way with the Bulls one night down in Miami. and I got a bunch of points and they we beat them the year they went 72 and 10. OK. And Michael's Michael's my guy. Uh, you know, I had damn near 40 points in the game it was one of my you know better NBA nights. And we played him at home two weeks later. And uh, the we are at jump circle, and the ball went in the air at the jump circle, and he elbowed me in the sternum right away. And I just was like, oh, shit. Oh, I, you know, like, yeah. I guess it's going to be like that tonight. And it was. He got, like, 40 and didn't play the fourth quarter, and I got, like, 13 on three for 13. Yeah. 
just the just the killer man. Is there anybody the is there anybody like him in the NBA today? Mentality. Mentality. Uh mentality, you know, I, I don't know. You know, you might think I'm crazy, but Stephen Curry has that mentality. I agree. It, he's a killer. He's a killer, bro. I mean, I, you know, Stephen lives for late game shit. He wants every last shot. And not only he's that. He's just not as physically imposing as right. Mike. And I know. And, well, listen, those threes raining down upon you hurt just as much, yeah. to be quite honest with you. Yes, and do. I loved when he go he goes up against Sacramento in Sacramento game seven this year, first round. And he looks into the camera and he's like, they can't finish. They can't finish. Yeah. And he was saying it. That, that, that's something. That's very Michael Jordan-esque. And when I think about LeBron versus MJ, as great as LeBron is, one of the reasons I got him number two overall. He's, you know, he's friends with everybody, singing Kumbaya, getting along with everybody. Jordan was a menace. Didn't mind. He them. was. And, I, and I'm with you on that. I rank him one, two that, in that order, too. But I'm going to give LeBron a little something different. Imagine. Stephen A., you and I grew up, you and I grew up in an era where it was Street and Smith magazine. That's how people learned about me or I learned right. about guys on the West Coast. We didn't have yep. video. We damn sure didn't have each other's phone numbers. Mm -hmm. You and I were 55. We didn't, in the same era, we didn't have, you know, if you went to camp, you didn't have the, the dude phone number that you went to camp with. Right. First time I met any of these dudes, uh, words like at the McDonald's game, I met Terry Mills and J.R. Reed or Mill Robinson and Derek Coleman for the first time ever. It's different now. These guys have been playing AAU ball against one another since they're eight years old in these elite circles. They are, they are more friendly. They know one another right. from years and years of relationships. And I just think, look, LeBron, man, what he's done socially cannot be understated. Without him, question. him having a voice and taking a stand. Dude is a, a, a single mom, never been in trouble, high school sweetheart, married her, great dad, all that stuff. I love that dude. So do I. I, I mean, don't Ma tell nobody. Michael, don't tell nobody I said that, yeah. but I do. I do. I really no, I do. Know. I know you do. I know you do. Michael and MJ are just di different mentally. And that's that's not a knock on either one of them. Yeah, I love it. I love both of them for what they are right. and, uh, you know, and and what they've done for mm for, um, you know, society well, in general. You got a lot of people that love you. You got a lot of people that loved what you did with the podcast that you created called Charges, where you were covering athletes' worst moment in their lives and really getting into all of that stuff. And now you've got a new podcast entitled Owned, which debuted and launched June 12th. All the best to you, my man. It's really good seeing you. It's really good talking to you. Always here for you if you ever need anything. And look forward to connecting with you down the road, my brother. You take care of yourself, all right? Thank you, Stephen A. Have me anytime. All right, my man. Take care, Rex. This is the moment of a lifetime. Uh -huh. The clock's ticking like my lifeline. Until I flatline, I push it to the red line. Who gonna stop me high? Who gonna stop me high? Thanks again to the one and only Rex Chapman. Really appreciate the time, spending time with us, telling us about your adventures. He's been through a lot in his life, obviously, telling us that story. He's making the most of it. Really, really appreciate him. And thanks him for being on this show. I got to get on out of here. Um, I'll holler at y'all next time. As always, make sure to like the video and follow the Stephen A. Smith channel for all updates. Click the notification bell to find out all about any new content that I'm throwing in your direction. I'll be gone for a couple of days, but I'll be back. You can check me out on Friday. Same bad time, same bad channel until then peace and love everybody be safe
This has been a presentation of Cadence 13, an Odyssey company in association with Stephen A. Podcast Productions. Episodes of No Mercy are available now for free wherever you get your podcasts.